Welcome to Core Nourishment. I'm Annie Wagner, your host. This podcast is designed to empower, inspire, ignite presence, purpose, and intention in your day. Welcome back. This is Annie Wagner, your host, and the Core Nourishment Podcast. And I feel like jumping up and down right now. I am so energized by this experience and can't stop smiling. I feel so grateful to be able to sit down with each of my guests and listen and hear their stories and feel their energy and passion and then share that with all of you in the world. It is absolutely incredible and such a joy. So thank you everyone for continuing to support this podcast, for listening, subscribing, tuning in, and sharing with your friends and family as well. So episode 11, woohoo, it's amazing. I had the opportunity to interview Sarah Canny. She's also known as the Run Far Girl, and you get to hear where that name came from. It's pretty cool. Um, She's a wife, mom, runner, defeater of bulimia, top fundraiser for the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Race Series, and she'll also elaborate on that story and how it connects to their son, Jack. And Sarah and I dive pretty quickly into talking about her nine-plus-year battle with disordered eating, and she'll share her shame and feeling so alone and in denial and in pain around all this. And yet she breaks through it and you feel that in her talking, you feel her energy and how she breaks through that battle with being at war with her body and running to burn calories to discovering a deeper sense of self-compassion and love and freedom to running in nature and feeling so alive and full of gratitude. And it's a much more spiritual experience and it's absolutely beautiful. Sarah's strength and resiliency and courage um, are amazing. So tune in. You'll hear a lot more juiciness around blogging, around homeschooling, supporting curiosity in her children, how it is raising children after going through her battle with disordered eating and wanting to support them with nutrition and nourishment in a healthier way. She shares with you Embrace the Hill, where that slogan for her clothing company comes from. And there's a lot more there. So have fun listening, walk away feeling absolutely inspired and enjoy. Episode 11. It's so awesome to have you here, Sarah. Thank it you. It's such a blessing. Um, so Sarah Canny is a wonderful, beautiful, inspiring woman. She is founder of Run Far Girl. Um, her blog, runfargirl.com. You can check her out there and find not only juicy inspiration about running and tips on nutrition and nourishment, but really I love, Sarah, reading your blogs and or seeing your posts on Instagram or um, just observing your story um, because you share from your heart. And I feel like I'm right there with you, like hearing your voice, like feeling your experience. You are so gifted in that way. And um, thank you for for being here. I can't wait to learn more about you today. (laughs) Well, thank you. Those are really kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be here and um, see where our conversation goes. That's 
the fun part. I know. It's kind of the, the juiciness of it. Um, so Sarah, I wanted to start with just asking you, um, what is the first like peak experience you had with running? We're just going to dive right into the running yeah. aspect and then go into other things. Um, so I, I think maybe it's not necessarily one experience, but sort of a collection of experiences. Um, early on when I initially started running, um, I was, um, a freshman in college. Um, and I would say at first, um, I sort of ran just to be active again. I was really involved with basketball in high school and played year round and was really competitive. Um, and when I went to college, I didn't participate in any sports, organized sports. I mean, I sort of dabbled in a few club activities, but, um, so I started running and at that point it was actually more about, um, sort of just staying in shape and losing weight and being fit and active, I guess. Um, but I think for me, sort of the, the pivotal, um, experience that sort of hooked me into running as being more than just, um, burning calories, I guess, was, um, my sophomore year, um, I transferred from Syracuse was where I was my freshman year and I transferred to UNH. Um, and my reasons for transferring was, um, because I was struggling with an eating disorder and I really needed to be closer to my family, um, so that I could get the help that I needed. Um, and so there was actually a period of time where I wasn't running. I wasn't allowed to run. Um, the doctors had, had told me that I needed to stop so that I could gain some weight. Um, but when I was finally allowed to run again, I felt like, um, I, I wasn't really out there anymore for, um, the, the burning calorie factor. And it was just more that I almost needed to escape myself. Mm. Um, because it's hard to describe your mind when you're um, struggling with an eating disorder, but it's incredibly obsessive and consuming. And so I felt like when I went running, those obsessive consuming thoughts just sort of left and I was able to just be free and be myself. Um, And a lot of that running I did... um, in college woods, which is this, um, these paths that are, yeah, that are, um, on the UNH campus. And it's a, um, a preserve that they've sort of designated to just be woods. And there's all kinds of trails and paths through there. And, um, I used to think of it as like my church, like that's, it was like the sanctuary that I would just like run through and, um, and all the different seasons. Yeah. Experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, um, for me, it was just a pivotal, um, experience because it was sort of a time of self-discovery and, and also, um, healing, I guess as well. Um, so, um, so when, so that for me was a change was when running went from being something that I just did to sort of lose weight and burn calories to something where I, an activity where I went to sort of free my mind and my body and, and, and really find a release from, um, the struggle that I was in. Yeah. Um, So, um, you know, and since then running has just become more and more integrated into who I am and, and 
Um, so, but I think it wasn't necessarily just one experience. It was just um, that sort of habit of going into the woods yeah. to sort of yeah. find myself and um, and sort of be free. So I love that you use the word free and freedom um, because, and I also love Sarah that that was. That's where you went with your answer to that question. You know, some people might just think of like, all right, what was that? Like peak race or, you know, like that moment I felt the runner's high for the first time. And in many ways, that freedom that you're describing, that self-discovery, that transition from I'm running to burn calories and to feel better my physical looks and and that, you know, to sounds like a deeper freedom and spirituality within your body um, mm-hmm. and almost peace. And so I love that you went there and um, can totally relate. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And and it sounds like, and I know just from following you and reading your blogs that it, it, it was, um, it was a continuous journey through that, you know, the ups and downs mm-hmm. um, through what you've shared about your eating disorder. So since you mentioned that, um, do you mind expanding on that for our listeners out there? Mm-hmm. When did you first, when did you first share publicly that you battled with eating disorders? Yeah. So I, I think the sort of, um, disordered eating for me really started at the beginning of high school or maybe sort of midway through high school. Um, I sort of ex- started experimenting with dieting and things like that. Um, you know, as a, as a teen. Um, and then really I would say, say the disordered eating took hold and became a full-blown eating disorder my freshman year of college. Um, and I was actually, I, I was, um, enrolled at Syracuse university and I was a nutrition science major with Mm. the, um, with the goal of becoming a registered dietitian. And so, um, you know, all of my classes were geared towards nutritional science. So I was learning a lot about um, how your body burns calories. And I was taking all of that information and applying it to myself and to losing weight in a mm. really extreme way. And so um, my f- my consumption of food became very restricted and yeah. very regimented and um, sort of became compulsive with exercising um, and I lost a, a lot of weight. And um, when I came home for Christmas break my freshman year, um, my parents, I think they took, they obviously took notice because I lost about 20 pounds between wow. September and which December, is which yeah. is a lot. And I was already relatively active and, and thin. So um, it was pretty drastic. Yeah. Um, weight loss. And had they seen you at all in between? They had visited for parents weekend in October, but they saw me for just a couple days and it was very quick. Um, and so, and actually when I went home, uh, you know, and I was back in that old environment, um, I can remember getting in the shower and sort of seeing myself in that, in the shower in my bathroom at my parents' house for the first time in that home environment. Yeah. And realizing like, oh, there's a big problem here because I looked so thin. Yeah. Um, So, and I was absolutely miserable. Mm. Um, I was not sleeping at night. My hair was falling out. Um, My skin had this sort of grayish tone, you know, all the 
the hallmarks of anorexia. You know, I pretty much hit everything on the head. Um, And, you know, in my nutritional science classes, we had just, I think we had recently done a unit on eating disorders. And I can remember sitting in class and being like, oh, this is me. This is Mm. what I'm doing. Being so aware. Yeah, I was pretty aware. But then at the same time, I was like, no, I don't. I have an eating disorder. I would never let it get that out of control. Right. That's the whole denial um, piece. Yes, yeah. yes. There was a lot of denial. Um, but the part that I just couldn't let go of was just, I was just really depressed and lonely and so consumed with obsessive thoughts about food and um, the amount of calories I had consumed. I was extremely restrictive with um, my calorie intake and would count my calories. And um, and if I went over one day I would subtract it from the next day of like wow, carry it yeah. over and just, um, you know, it was just incredibly disordered. Um, and I, I just couldn't sleep and I, my mind was constantly racing. Um, and I just was really miserable. Did and, you find Sarah that it was, and, and it might not be so clear, um, but that like you felt this outside pressure at all from anyone around you or, like, you know, media, which is kind of like a more blanket, you know, or like that you just suddenly like found yourself like in this new college environment with Mm -hmm. this like idea of like, oh, I can re-identify myself and, Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you headed and it just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Do you have... It was really mostly self-imposed, I would say. Just my personality is pretty much type A perfectionistic. And so, (laughs) um, and I think too, there had been some you know, I'd been overweight as a kid, like mm-hmm. from like age 10, 11, and had been made fun of and remembered that. And, you know, I think a lot of the work that I've done in recovery has been sort of identifying the causes of my eating disorder. Um, and I think a lot of them just um, are in- insecurities that I felt. I just felt like I wasn't good enough. Um, and so on every other level, like academically in sports, you know, I strove for perfection and, um, and excelled and, um, was successful. And so it was sort of one more thing that I sort of set out to conquer, um, because I had felt sort of rejection and Mm. being made fun of as Mm. a kid. Yeah. You know, I thought if I transformed myself physically, I would be accepted. I would be, um, I wouldn't have those insecurities that I, that I had felt sort of going into high school. I just remember being really insecure about my appearance and my weight. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of looked at college as this opportunity to sort of reinvent myself, to start over. And so part of that was losing weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and it just sort of went to the extreme. Yeah, Yeah. Spiraled out of control. Um, So, and I just, I I just remember being just so miserable and knowing that if I continued on this path, I would have some serious health, there would be some serious health implications. Um, And so I ended up, it was Christmas Eve and we were about to go to the Christmas Eve service at my parents' church. And I just remember saying to my mom, like, I think I have a problem. Yeah. Um, and that was the first and time she, you really said it out that, loud. Yeah, I said yeah. it out loud, and it sort of was a release, and and then it it didn't become just my problem. Like I didn't have to hold that. Hold that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so that was a big help. And then 
from there, my parents worked um, to get, you know, I obviously Christmas break came to an end and I went back to school. And from there, they worked with me to see the nutritionist at Syracuse and a counselor, mm-hmm. a student counselor or therapist there. Um, and so all those things helped, but, um, and I sort of started the journey to recovery, but there was a lot of damage that had already been done or, or not necessarily like, I mean, there was physical damage obviously. Um, but I was working on the symptoms and the behavior and wasn't really addressing Looking the like underlying the psychological yeah. like, mindset and the re- yeah. yeah, which is and, so and also I don't, you know, at 18, I 19, say, I don't think I so had hard. the, I don't think I had the emotional maturity to be able to address the underlying causes. Yeah. So, um, so it took, uh, took a long time because then anorexia, as I started to eat and gain weight, that morphed into bulimia. And then yeah. the bulimia I struggled with for nine years. Yeah. And so yeah. that just really took, you know, it sort of took root. And I just was never really willing to, it's not that I wasn't willing to look at the underlying causes. I just didn't really want to or I didn't maybe didn't know how important they were and thought if I adjust the behavior I just, just focused, yeah, I just yeah. focused so much on the behavior and sort of resolving to be better and uh, yeah. and control the behavior. But really, there's a lot of other stuff, deeper stuff that needed to happen in order for me to get better. So um, it's amazing just from listening to you and, and um, you know, because being a health coach, I definitely worked with a lot. Of, I, I tend to work more with women. I'm not exclusive to women, but um, but a fair amount of women who have struggled with you know, disordered eating. And, and I myself have had um, my own past with um, levels of disordered eating. And and I think it can be so tricky when you're starting to really reach out for help and like become more vulnerable and opening mm-hmm. up about it um, to then trust. And, and especially if you're type A, you're perfectionistic, mm-hmm. sometimes it can lead to, well, doing the right thing to then please, you know, the people around us. Like, what do they see? Oh, I'm gaining weight. Okay, good. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, she seems more relax, you know, when eating and just, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's still that focus on like that pleasing others mm-hmm. as opposed to really like truly doing it because we love ourselves. So, mm-hmm. I don't and know that, that that was really sort of the beginning of my recovery was, you know, the doctor said, you know, X weight is your healthy weight. And so I gained enough weight to reach X weight. And then, you know, I was doing it for for everyone else, really. I was yeah. doing it for my parents' peace of mind, and I was doing it to follow the doctor's orders. And um, and so I was doing it for all these other reasons, but inside I was just still so... I just didn't have any confidence in who I was. I was mm. still very insecure, and um, I just was... And because I, I didn't know where to to work on myself, I just worked on the external stuff yeah. and the behavior. And yeah. Totally. So, um, but yeah, it, it can definitely, um, if you're, wor- if you're working to please other people, you're not going to really work on the real, the right. real stuff. Right. So. so through that, you were still running, mm-hmm. um, a fair amount. And then and I'm imagining like you, or you'd already shared that it was your sophomore year that you mm-hmm. connected with 
that deeper level of just self-discovery in nature and mm-hmm. kind of like a more exp- I envisioning just like this expansive like feeling of freedom um, when you're running. So did you find that your running at that point became supportive as, as a way to to aid in your healing with your eating disorder? Um, but at times was tricky because it's also like here you are like trying to learn how to nourish yourself in a really healthy, beautiful way um, mm-hmm. and not about restriction or counting calories but then obviously running and loving running like that burns calories so I was there like a tug and a struggle yeah with that? I think there definitely there definitely was because on one hand I was you know running was sort of this pa- this pause for me from the obsessive thinking in my mind just racing about everything it was a chance to just sort of get away from that um but then on the other hand yeah it was burning calories and and so for a while it I, it was just another, you know, cog in the wheel of my eating disorder. Um, because I was, especially when the bulim, when I, the bulimia sort of took over, um, you know, there was times when I would binge and then purge, um, use laxatives and then go for a run. Mm. Um, and so, and at that point, you know, it just, it was, yeah, it was just sort of this twisted. Yeah. Um, it was so wrapped up in right, it. Right. It was so wrapped up yeah. in it. Um, and I don't, I, there was a time where, so I struggled um, through my early 20s um, with bulimia. And it just sort of became more and more severe. Like my, my binging and purging became more and more severe. Mm. Um, it, because at first, I, you know, I would eat like a normal when I was recovering from anorexia, I'd eat like a normal meal and then purge. But then as the bulimia sort of became more of a disorder, um, it was, I was like intentionally binging and mm. then purging. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's where it sort of was just really out of control. And, and I was still running through that period, but I just wasn't enjoying run, yeah. running. And um, at the time, my husband and I lived in Arizona. Um, and I just, I was running... I mean, I wanted to run and I wanted it to be part of my life, but I just was not enjoying it. And there's actually a period of time for about three years where I didn't really run or race at all. Yeah. Um, when you're out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't until after I had my daughter that I sort of, um, I had recovered from bulimia and then re- returned to running again. Um and that's really where it became sort of this very healing, yeah. therapeutic activity um, because I wasn't doing it to burn calories anymore and it wasn't wrapped up in my eating disorder anymore. And it was just, so I sort of found a new love for it. Um, a new relationship a new, with yeah, it. Yeah, and a new relationship with it, which was, you know, sort of captured that essence of why I loved it in the beginning. Yeah. But it just didn't have any of that disordered baggage yeah. with it. Yeah. So that's beautiful, um, Sarah. That's yeah. amazing. What would you say? So for anyone who's listening to this who may be struggling right now with mm-hmm. disordered eating, um, what is one thing that truly helped you like finally release and and mm-hmm. and be able to kind of sit with your discomfort and looking at the um, maybe what you may have been ashamed of. Cause I feel like shame is so wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. And we, we may be like reaching out for help and starting on that, that process of healing and then, and then quickly hide because, um, because we're, we're ashamed. And mm-hmm. I think of Brene Brown all the time and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, the minute we can start sharing that shame, 
it, and as opposed to like holding it within or stuffing mm-hmm. it down with food or maybe it's exercise or whatever someone's choice of addiction is. Um, the minute we free it, it starts to completely like just disintegrate and yeah. vanish. So what would you, what's one, like what's one thing that helped you start to really release that and move through with deeper mm-hmm. healing so that you say now that you're, you're healed and you're mm-hmm. like completely free. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think there are several things, um, that sort of played a part in it. Um, and I think you touched on one of them, which is the more light that you can bring to anything, mm. the less hold it has on you. You really break the power of, of an eating disorder when you um, start to talk about it. And so because so much of an eating disorder um, is done in secrecy, mm. um, especially the bulimia, um, the binging and the purging, that's all done in secret, you know, in secret. And um, it's something that I worked so hard to hide um, I mean, at the time I was married, um, still am married, but I mean, I was, yeah, I got married really young, yeah. um, at 21. And so my husband was sort of there through the whole thing. And, um, and I was definitely hiding from him. I mean, he, he knew a lot of what was going on and yeah. it was a struggle for him too, to know how to support me. And that's what kind of a whole other topic, but, um, I tried to be as open as possible with him one of the things that why my eating disorder was just perpetuated was it became an addiction really, mm-hmm. um, an addiction to just a bad coping mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I would binge and purge and then I'd tell him like afterward, after it had happened, but I wouldn't, I had such a, it had such a hold of me that I couldn't tell someone in the middle of the struggle. Like if I knew that I was sort of in the mindset that I was going to intentionally binge and purge, Mm. um, I didn't want anyone to stop it, stop me. I didn't want to tell anyone. So, um, but I, so I think the more light that you can bring to it, the better. And then also I think approaching it as, um, an addiction was, um, very helpful for me. Um, you don't necessarily have to use the 12 step program, but even just knowing, um, sort of the effect that addiction has on your brain and the pathways in your brain, um, that treating my eating disorder as an addiction changed the way that I looked at it and also changed the way that I addressed it. Um, Mm. and, and that's sort of when the real healing started, Um, and I think too, um, the other thing is, is just to seek professional help. I mean, for, I struggled for a really long time. I mean, initially I found a counselor with my parents' help very early on. And then I sort of kept, I bounced around from different therapists and, and every time I would, I would leave and just say, like, I would leave their practice and just say, well, they don't understand and I can't work, you know, they just don't get it. Yeah. Um, and maybe that was me just resisting looking Mm. inside and Mm -hmm. looking deeper, but I just sort of kept ditching, (laughs) ditching my therapist. To avoid. Yeah, to avoid, really. Um, and so I think partly because I just didn't want to be the girl with the problem. Yeah. Um, because for so long I had been the good girl and Mm. had been the perfectionist, the girl who's good at everything. And so to really look at that major flaw and disorder in my life was 
not a place I wanted to go. And so, um, so I kept ditching different therapists and then I finally found one who specialized in eating disorders, which was really helpful. I think because even the, in those moments of being really uncomfortable, she's really gentle and really understood. And so I think it's really important to find a therapist who specializes in eating disorders because they have a unique understanding of what's going on. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think if you can bring light to it and be open and honest, as open and honest as, as possible, and then um, look at it as an addiction, and then also just seek professional help. I think those things are pretty key to how I was able to to fully recover and, and be free. free. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing all that too, yeah. Sarah. I know that... Um, I mean, I imagine for you in your in your blogging world, like simply you know publicly like sharing all this has mm-hmm. helped, um, like really accelerate your healing with it mm-hmm. as well because mm-hmm. you're you're truly sharing your story and, and sharing your vulnerability with such courage and strength, and which is only helping to spread that ripple of healing for so mm-hmm. many other people. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah. Thank how you. is it? How is it being a mom? So so yeah, Sarah, you mentioned you have you know, mm-hmm. you're married, you have kids, and that's mm-hmm. a little another part of you. Gosh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> like we just kind of dove right into this, like <laughs> I know of, of <clears throat> your um, challenges with disordered eating, but I feel like it's it was a really for me like in reading your story, it really key part to weave in and talk about because mm. um because it's not always talked about you know it's something mm. that people again can kind of hide behind yeah. um and I wanted to know like and now that you're a mom and you have three kids and, and you have a daughter like what's how is your approach to raising your kids and and mm. and relationship to body and health and nourishment mm-hmm. and food and um and do you like I imagine like as I do with my daughter like I want I don't, you know, I want the best for her and, and her love her body no matter what. And, and hopefully not have the same struggles with, yeah. with food. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something I think about frequently and actually sort of a, a really pivotal moment in my recovery was, um, I found out that I was pregnant with Sophia's my daughter and she's our oldest. Um, and it was an unexpected, um, pregnancy because I had been told by several, um, several of my physicians that I would have difficulty getting pregnant just because of the complications from anorexia, um, amenorrhea and and things like that. And so, um, so when I got pregnant, it was sort of unexpected. And, um, and at the time when I initially took that first pregnancy test, I was still struggling with bulimic behavior. Um, it had sort of dwindled in frequency, but, I was still bulimic. Mm -hmm. Um, and once I found out that I was pregnant, I just had this picture in my mind of me behind a locked bathroom door and this little baby, a girl, I didn't even know at the time. I just found out I was pregnant. I didn't even know it was a girl of this little toddler girl knocking on the bathroom door. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it was, and it just sort of, wrecked me because I did not want that. Um, I didn't want to carry the struggle, the nine year struggle over into motherhood. Yeah. Um, I didn't want that to be part of my story Mm. anymore. Um, so that was actually a really pivotal moment where I just sort of just decided, um, I sort of made it a weird bargain with myself, um, that if, um, 
that I would through for nine months, I wasn't going to purge that, you know, no matter how much I ate, if I binged, whatever, I was not going to purge. Yeah. Just, I did just was really afraid of, um, harming my pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and, and then I decided, okay, if after these nine months, I, I know I'm going to gain weight. Like that's just part of pregnancy. I know yeah. this is going to happen. Yep. Um, and I think maybe that was healing for me too, was just accepting the fact that I was going to gain weight during mm-hmm. the pregnancy mm-hmm. and that was healthy and that was going to be part of it. Yeah. Almost gave me permission to let go of all the control and the restricting and the yeah. obsessing. Um, but the sort of weird bargain that I made with myself was that, okay, I'm not going to purge for nine months, but if after nine months I have all this pregnancy weight that I want to lose and I feel like the only way to lose it is to purge, then okay, I'll do, I'll do that then. But I need to get through these nine months. And I kind of knew like that if I could not purge for nine months, I would imagine that at the end of nine, I imagined that at the end of nine months, I wouldn't want to go back to it. I, like here you are for nine months. Right. And you did not. And right. Really, yeah, and that, able to get that, that I would break that habit. Mm. And because I had done quite a bit of work in therapy and, you know, so for nine years I had been actively trying to recover, but yeah. still, you know, still bulimic. Um, and so I felt like if I could just accept the weight gain not purge that after nine months I might I might have broken that habit and broken that addiction and that's really what happened wow Um, yeah I started and over those nine months um you know at first it was really difficult because I was pregnant and I was eating a lot and I was gaining weight Mm -hmm. gaining a lot of weight and then after about three or four months everything sort of leveled out um and my eating you know my I think my metabolism because there was a lot of healing internally that had to happen because when you're binging and purging your um electrolytes and your metabolism everything is just absolutely messed up and so there's a lot of healing that had to happen but after about three or four months my sort of um metabolism regulated and I learned how to eat intuitively again eat when I'm hungry stop when I'm full Mm -hmm. um um because a lot, obviously when you're binging, you push through that feeling of being full and yeah. you just keep eating. And so I had to really relearn how to eat. Mm-hmm. So, and trust. And I imagine like land in a deeper trust in your body. Yeah. Like not only around, you know, you're growing this mm-hmm. this baby, but also yeah. around like how to nourish yourself mm-hmm. for, for your baby and you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot changed in those nine months that I was pregnant. And um, and that was really just a, a healing process. Um for me. Um, and, um, and now as a mom, um, we have three of a girl and two boys, um, that are almost seven, four and, uh, 18 months. Amazing. Um, I think the thing that I, that I think about, I actually don't think about it that often. It's not like at the forefront of my mind, but, um, the things that I try to, to do are just, to not have any rules surrounding food, mm. um, to to let the kids eat intuitively because kids are probably the best intuitive eaters yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think too, with Sophia, um, I think a lot of times we tend to focus on outward appearance, like "Oh, you you're so beautiful," or right with um, our like words yeah with our and comments our tend yeah. to focus on on outward appearance, and so. Um, 
Mark and I both just try to pick out, you know, aspects of her personality or, or things that she's done to sort of point out rather than um, telling her that she's cute or beautiful or, yeah. or those types of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I hope that um, she sees my running and, and, you know, the way that I, I'm nourishing and challenging my body. And I hope that um, that she sort of sees that example and, and follows it. As well, and and I and I see that with her. She she loves. She's active. She loves to run, and um, but she also, um, you know, she's an intuitive eater, and she'll yeah. eat what she she likes. And yeah. Um, so I think I think the biggest thing is just um, focusing on making her feel secure, mm. um, and so that even when there are moments when. Um, she's made fun of or bullied or um, moments that, that shake her confidence that she she feels secure in the way that my husband and I love her and she feels secure in herself that she'll be able to weather those storms that are going to come with life, you right, know? Right, totally, um, yeah. Because we can't put our kids in a bubble and protect them forever, no. but we can no. give them or help them develop skills that will, um, an emotional help them grow emotionally so that they have the maturity to handle those challenges. So that's really where my focus is, is, you know, how can I help her become emotionally mature? Yeah. And Um, such strength, like that mm, word just keeps coming. mm. It's like flashing across my mind right now over and over again with Mm. listening to you because you are so, so strong, Sarah. And I don't mean that just like physically, like you're (laughs) a very strong runner and really strong, but like your like resiliency and your strength, Mm. you know, that you, you know, if we, if we are to look at the positives of your journey, because mm-hmm. my feeling is there's always, there's always blessings in there, mm-hmm. even in the mess and mm-hmm. the dark stuff and such strength that you get to now share with your children mm-hmm. and your family, um, as a role model and with such openness and truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I can only imagine your kids and yeah. Sophia in this, and if we're talking really about like, you know, girls and women with mm-hmm. who struggle, like, I feel like she's so blessed to have your strength thank you appreciate that yeah I mean I think I think just the the focus is um just teaching her how to manage her emotions in a really authentic way so I'll teach her to express how she's feeling rather than bottling it up inside and I think that's what I did as a as an adolescent, yeah, I had a all these, a lot of people, all this, yeah. yeah, all this sort of self doubt, self loathing, mm. um, insecurity that I never expressed to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just so focused on being the good girl and, and achieving, holding it all together, and, yeah, and, holding it yeah. all together in perfection. And so I want her to feel like she can be frustrated, she can be angry, she can be. Um, you know, sad and, but be able to articulate and express that so she can get support because we all need support and we can't do it alone. Yeah. And so, um, you know, if I can help her do that, um, then I feel like maybe I'm doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. And I mean, and our boys too. It's not just, not just just Sophia. Yeah. 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 No, totally. And I feel like um, I like to believe, like, I see so many parents, like, are around our generation. Um, 
I don't know. There's just greater kind of awareness around like emotional mm-hmm. education, like is supporting our children and mm-hmm. and people in general about um, finding those ways to express ourselves and learn that it's not just about like being perfect and happy all the time mm-hmm. and, and joyous and um, and learning like how to yeah express in those yeah. safe ways is beautiful. You are so the other aspect of you, Sarah, is your your homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And so I imagine this this like it's amazing like the teaching and and kind of yeah. um, guiding your kids through these experiences mm-hmm. and these emotional moments, even through homeschooling. Um, you must have that opportunity a lot. Uh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all the time. It's um, homeschooling is a challenge, um, especially with um, dealing with frustration. Yeah. Um, so I, I really think as much as I've tried not to let this happen, Sophia has sort of inherited that perfectionistic mentality. Um, and so she gets frustrated very easily with things that are challenging in school. And so um, we deal with that um, on a daily basis. Mm. Um so you know, I wonder um, if that's a firstborn thing. <laughs> it might I've be. I've had so many. Yeah, I don't. I don't even I'm, know. Are you I'm not born? the firstborn, okay. but I'm the first girl. Okay, so I, I have am an too. older brother. I'm not. I'm not a firstborn, but I'm a, I'm a first girl as well. Um, and I just, I don't know. I have so many. Like I've just from observing my friends and their kids, and then mm-hmm. these conversations. Yeah. Like, and I think about my my firstborn, my my Jack, mm-hmm. and he's very similar. Like just, you know. Um, and I think it's common for all kids to go I through it. So too. But yeah. like well, any sort of like probably, feedback or feelings of they're not doing it right or or yeah. like it's just it's learning, it's going guiding them through that, yeah. you know, frustration. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so homeschooling, I mean it's um it's definitely an adventure and a challenge and um you know, it's sort of a, I feel like it's just a small part of what we do. As a family, it, we've just sort of integrated it into all the other things that we do. Yeah, um, like life skills and learning. Yeah. yeah. When I read when I read your blog, Sarah, I, that that came to mind. Like you're training not only for these races and sharing your training experiences or just your running, but there's such like this. You know, you're training for life, and you're helping mm-hmm. to spread your like own wisdom through your own experience with with people with these skills that you're learning from your journeys to races and to, or just running in general mm. to like, how does that I guess transcend into the rest of life? So mm. it's cool that you're, you're doing that with your, your children. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I hope, I mean, one of the, the reasons why we chose to homeschool was um, just for the freedom mm. um, that we don't have to sort of be um, tied to a school schedule um, that we can sort of be free to, to explore and make learning as experiential as, as possible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Which keeps it like alive and exciting for you mm-hmm. as well. Like, yeah. You know, that, the whole idea of like yeah. curiosity and what, mm-hmm. are, what are we curious about today? What can mm-hmm. we go do that you know, helps us yeah. to explore that? Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And it's neat to sort of, to follow whatever path, um, that they're interested in. Um, and just really allow that um, natural curiosity and mm-hmm. love of learning to, to really flourish. Yeah. So, so that's fun. It's not without its challenges. It's not without its challenges. And yeah. there are some days when I want to pack them up and send them off to school for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, or so have that not, pause button. Like, right. right can yeah. we just pause? Yeah. Press pause. I'm going to go out for a run. I'll come yeah, back and yeah. now we can yeah. start again. Yeah. 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 So. So. Let's. I want to learn more about um, Run for Our Girl mm-hmm. and like what was your inspiration to 
to start it? How, like for the listeners out there who may not know what Run for Our Girl is, um, mm-hmm. and there's, there's so many layers you have underneath mm-hmm. that from yeah. your ambassadors to, you know, you started the Rise Run Retreat mm-hmm. to um, your fundraising for the Chad Half Marathon, which also connects to your story with Jack. So there's so there's so much stuff here, Sarah. <laughs> um, but let's let's start with what is Run Fire Girl? Okay, so um, I started blogging um, after my daughter was born, um, and it was really just I was staying at home for the first time. I had been a high school English teacher, I was staying at home for the first time, um, and you know she was napping twice a day, and I you know, didn't have much to do back in those sweet days of <laughs> having nothing to do. Having nothing to do. What's that look like? Yeah. Um, and so I started reading blogs and um, started and ended up starting my own. Um, and at the time they were called the Runner Mom. I called it the Runner Mom Chronicles. Um, and I did it for a little while for um, about a year. Um, and then I sort of took a pause on that. I ended up going back to work when Sophia was about nine months old. And I still posted every once in a while, but my my focus was really on work. And um, and so um, when Sophia was just turned two, after she turned two, I found out I was pregnant with our son, Jack. And um, my plan, our plan was for me to stay home again. Um, and so I left work again, um, and ended up picking the blog back up. Um, and at that time run, so that was like 2012. Um, and over the course of those two or so years, um, running blogs had really started to pop up everywhere. Um, excuse me. And, um, so I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to go back into this and, and see what I can do with it. And um, so I approached it with a little bit more intention and renamed it Run Far Girl. Um, and I had um, had I had put that on my bib. At, I was going to um, say, what's yeah. that? <laughs> what came to so that? I had put it. Um, when we lived in Arizona, it was on my license plate. Run Far was my license plate. And oh, cool. um, I... Uh, I we always, my husband and I like to go to this Quiznos um, sub place, and uh, the guy who owned it, he called me Run Far Girl because I drove the car with the Run Far license oh, plate, cool. and I, I liked it, and I thought it was funny, and we sort of got to know him. He was a, just a really generous guy, and he owned the franchise, and he also worked there almost full-time. He was just okay. a super sweet guy. <laughs> um and so he's the so owner. Cool. And the Quizno guy. Yeah, the Quizno guy. Girl. <laughs> Perfect. And then I ended up just sort of taking it and I put it on um, put it on one of my um, marathon bibs. I ran the Rock and Roll San Diego Marathon. You could customize your bib with your name. But oh, I ended up just so putting awesome Run Far Girl on it instead yeah. of Sarah. So, um, yeah. And then, and then I was like, well, that's what my blog will be. So I renamed it. Um, and then started blogging really regularly and um and then got on Twitter and Instagram and you know then started to really connect with a lot of other people in the the running blog world and you like that's incredible Sarah this is 2012 and it's i mean like you you exploded really fast yeah i mean my that's, yeah. i mean i'm sure it maybe didn't feel like that for you yeah but I, I, that's that's yeah. that's incredible i mean i really the blog really started um like January 2010, I think, was my first post. Okay. So I have, like, a 
2010 to 11, there was some consistent posting. And then like 2011 to 2012, there really weren't that many posts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2012 was really when I sort of started um, consistently, consistently like, posting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So after the, uh, over the last four years or so, my blog has really grown. Um, what's helped it? I'm curious. Like what's, yeah. what's a tip for other bloggers um, out there who, who I would really love to think get out there just, more? Yeah. I think, um, quality content. Mm. Um, so I, I, in terms of blogging, I just really focus on providing well-written quality content. Um, and, and then, and with an authentic voice, I mean, and that yeah, sort of just has to come naturally. Totally have. Um, you have such a be- beautiful, authentic thanks. voice. <laughs> um, I write the way that I would if we were to, you know, yeah. sit down and chat like we are now. And I'm pretty vulnerable and, and honest and try to be as real as possible. And I think people are drawn to that. Definitely. Um, yeah. And also I just try to interact with the people who've read my blog for a long time. Um and new readers as well. Yeah. Um, and and just make people feel like they've come to a community and welcome them in and um stay so, like connected. Yeah, stay connected. Yeah. And um so I think those are some of the the ways that it's been as successful um as it has. Does writing so, come naturally to you? Do you um, enjoy it? I do. I really yeah. do enjoy it. Um I I love the process of it. Were you ever really perfectionistic about that? And did you have to move to? (laughs) Well, um, so as I had mentioned before, I was a nutritional science major. um, And when I transferred, I left Syracuse and went to UNH, University of New Hampshire, which is close by to my parents' home. Um, I also changed my major. Okay. Um, So I changed my major to English, um, English teaching. Um, And I was, as much as I was a good teacher, (laughs) I didn't love it. Yeah. I just, it was just what I did because I love to write and yeah so even that you loved writing yeah yeah that's Um, cool so it's sort of that was the path that I chose because I had to choose something different other Mm. than nutrition yeah um but um yeah so I've always just really enjoyed writing and I do I, I enjoy the process of it and um you know if I'm writing an article or a piece for publication not on my blog um I, you know, tend to put a lot of thought and effort in, yeah. into it. And not that I don't put thought and effort into my, but just the that process. That seems to flow more yeah. intuitively for yeah. you. Yeah. And just the process of sort of revising and, and writing and rereading and going yeah. back to things. Um, the University of New Hampshire has a really great English department. It has some really great oh, professors, totally. yeah. some really great creative writing professors. So, um, yeah, so I just really enjoy the craft of writing as well. That's awesome. So, yeah. That's cool. I like that you said craft too. Like to look at it as an art and a way of your creative expression mm-hmm. keeps yeah. it keeps it probably alive for you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you like do you have yourself in a strict schedule around it, or do you find like you're just? I mean, because it's become your mm-hmm. kind of your baby. So yeah. Like, do you have um, like a certain? I don't know schedule around it. I guess yeah. Um, I I try to post three times a week. Yeah, um, and sometimes that doesn't happen just because life happens. So, um, but yeah, I, I tend to be, I've become more scheduled. Um, at first it was just sort of posting whenever yeah. um, I had, um, inspiration, but now I approach it more like, um, like a job almost, mm-hmm. you know, where I, yeah. I want to produce content, whether it's training tips or, 
Um, a lot of times I, I write about body image as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to produce quality content. Um, and so, so I do sort of plan out ahead of time key posts. And then um, a lot of times if something strikes me, um, then I'll write about I'll write about that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Sarah. Like, and I imagine um, for you, it's just been like, I mean, kind of like anything. It's just ever evolving and seeing mm-hmm. where it goes mm-hmm. to and what yeah. inspires you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a few taglines that I've seen mm-hmm. attached to <laughs> yep. um, attached to Run Far Girl. You know, um, Embrace the Hill, which is awesome. Yep. And you seem to have some, like, you know, products and clothing line toward that. And then mm-hmm. I've also seen, um, like, Road Ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Road Ahead, the unknown, the possibility of, of greatness, yeah. which is awesome. And so how, yeah, what is your mission around all that? Like, Yeah, so, I mean, the Embrace the Hill, that really started um, – with um my son jack was born with um a congenital birth defect and um something called a giant melanocytic nebus which is mm. basically just a pre very large precancerous small um wow and it covered about 80 percent of his back yeah. um, when he was born and had these raised sort of tumorous looking bumps that um that were concerning um and so he went through a whole process of having that removed um and during that time, we were, um, he was a patient of the Children's Hospital um, at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Um, and throughout that process, he had surgery. He had an MRI when he was um, two months old, and then surgery when he was four months, and then again at eight months, and then another small procedure, a small surgery shortly after his, his second surgery. Must have um, been so scary for you. And it was, it was scary. I mean, yeah. your little... Um, to sort of watch your little baby go under, um, was, is tough. And then, um, knowing that he was having surgery was just really hard to wrap your head around. So, um, so it was a really tough time. And during that period of time, um, running was just a huge emotional release for me. Mm. Um, and I can remember just running, um, hills and um, I'd always really avoided running hills just because they're hard and they slow you down and they're not super fun but um one of the the mantras that I sort of adopted um was embrace the hill like you know it's tough but if you embrace the things in life that are the most challenging then you gain power over them and from them um which is very true of running hills on a just strictly from <laughs> yes. a training standpoint. Yep. If you embrace literally embrace the hill and run hills and run hill repeats, you develop a, a mental strength. Yeah, um, that from, can carry with you right like, throughout the whole right. process of running. Yep. Yeah, and also a physical strength because hill running hills develops um, like strength and power. So, um, so there's that like whole aspect that applies to running. But then I also really felt like it applied to our our situation with Jack. Um, because it was, we were just sort of, his condition was undetected by ultrasound. So we found out the night he was born, you know, the oh night gosh. he was born, we found out that he was going to have this, all these surgeries and, and things. And um, so, wow, you know, it's just when you're sort of in the face of that difficulty, you, there's no way around it. You know, you just have to go through it. And so I felt like 
Embrace the Hill really applied to that situation. It was just this sort of hill in life, this difficult situation that you don't want to deal with, but the only way to really deal with it is go up and, and over and, um, and choosing, and, yeah. like, choosing your mindset around it. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, one of the things that I sort of did, um, to sort of get my mind off the difficulty of what we were going through with Jack and his surgeries, um, I started to train for the Chad Hero Half Marathon, which is the primary fundraiser for the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth. Um, and threw myself into um, to fundraising. My goal was to be the top fundraiser. So, yeah, that's um, awesome. So um, I decided to take my competitive um, nature <laughs> and personality and apply it towards something that was worthwhile. And so um, one of the ways that I... I you know, I wrote letters and did the, sort of the traditional fundraising thing. But then I also um, thought that if I sold T-shirts, that might be a way to to raise extra money. And um, so I ended up having a whole bunch of T-shirts made with the phrase yeah. um, Embrace the Hill. That's awesome. Um, and I think initially I ordered um, 150 shirts and I posted it on my blog and my Instagram account and they sold out in one day. That does not surprise me. Yeah. That is awesome. So, I and then I thought, okay, and all I my plan was to donate all the proceeds um, to Chad, and so I put in another batch of orders, and yeah. they just kept selling out. And wow, I raised over three thousand oh dollars for gosh, in, in that, and that was just just from the t shirts, just from the t shirts. And then on top of that, I raised like another four thousand dollars in donations. So that wow. first year, I raised over seven thousand um, dollars for the Children's Hospital. Um, that is amazing, and. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a really sort of neat way to be able to give back to the hospital. Um, and so and it's actually that event, the Chad Hero Half Marathon. There's the half marathon, there's a hike, there's a, a bike ride, um, a kids race and a 5K. That event weekend has mm. become sort of this integral part of our family experience. Yeah. We go um, to Hanover every year and and we're part of that event. And it's just been really fun. I just so. got the chills because I imagine for you, um, you know, bringing your whole family and then mm-hmm. and then seeing Jack, who's so vibrant and healthy mm-hmm. and strong now, um, like getting to take part in that weekend mm-hmm. and that energy, and yet probably has no idea really what yeah. his story was yet. Yeah, you know, so. no, I mean, we tried. He's four now, and we sort of tried to explain to him why we go there every yeah. year. And um, the great thing about the the race is that it has a superhero theme. So everyone That's dresses awesome. up and he I wore his he Captain was. America costume. <laughs> and um, it's just a fun, fun weekend. Um, and he didn't, we try. We wanted him to understand, but he's just not there yet in terms yeah. of his age oh, and totally. maturity. So yeah. I think it'll be a while before he he realizes why we we go back. But, yeah, um, yeah. But it is just a really, um, really fun event for us. And and so I I still um, sell the t-shirts. I donate ten percent of all profits um, to to Chad still. And that is awesome, um, Sarah. So. And it's sort of morphed into other things. There's T-shirts and sweatpants and sweatshirts and, and other things like that um, that have different inspirational running mantras on them. Yeah. Um, so um, so that was sort of one idea that then sort of morphed into a little business itself. That's so, so cool. That's yeah. so fun. Yeah, yeah I've so, seen, like, your models or people out in the <laughs> running wearing the mm-hmm. embrace of him. Yeah. That's so cool. That's yeah. awesome. So. 
you it's like I'm listening to you I'm like wow it's so awesome like everything everything you're doing Sarah and it's all mm-hmm. it's all interconnected mm-hmm. to your like purpose and your passion mm-hmm. and yeah um and the strength that you carry when do you have time to run yourself <laughs> and to train yeah. and I want to know um yeah how how, how is that balancing yeah you know, being a mom and homeschooling and then your fundraising and um mm-hmm. and you have a really beautiful presence out there as a blogger and on Instagram but also mm-hmm. like connected to um giving yeah I mean I think there's a season for everything so I just sort of finished the Chad Hero um, race is at the end of October. So I just sort of finished that season of fundraising and participating and sort of promoting that. Um, and um, yeah, there's there's really is a season for everything. And I think I don't give 100% to everything all the time. It's, mm. you know, um, sort of my day is sort of segmented. So I usually get up pretty early around um, in the morning and, um, go for my run. This is so good. I was going to ask you, like, take me through a day. (laughs) Yeah. So like a a typical day. So I would get, I get up in the morning, um, go for my run, come back. And then, you know, it's basically I'm mom, you know, and have to be on. And then we, we do our school and we've gotten to a point where Sophia, um, is pretty independent with a couple of her assignments and, and score that she does. So, I can sometimes squeeze in some emails or some work. Um, I can't, it's really hard for me to write (laughs) when the kids are around. So the writing piece usually happens um, either on the weekends or in the evening. Um, But um, so during the day, that's sort of, um, you know, I'm just with the kids engaged. And I, you know, train. Yeah. yeah. And I've got little, I can sort of squeeze in a few like, things in between activities that I do with the kids, um, you know, whether it's, you know, promoting the, the t-shirts or whatever it is. Um, but for the most part, the daytime is, is for the kids. And, and sometimes I can, you know, we're pretty active. So if they're out riding their bikes, I just bring out my kettlebell and, you know, other stuff. And, you know, we put on music and they ride bikes and I do my workout and my cross training. And, um, and it's fun to have them see you do that too. Yeah. And sometimes they'll, (laughs) the other day I did my workout outside and they both bolted inside, changed into like their workout gear, which is like their athletic shorts and stuff. And then they came out and they were working out with me and it was super cute. Um, but but yeah, and then, you know, the evenings are, my husband and I try to connect and spend some time together. And then he's also self-employed. So we both have work that we do at yeah. night as well. So yeah. we try to connect and then we both get out our <laughs> laptops and we're yeah. like <laughs> clicking away until it's time to go to bed. But um, yeah, I mean, Is I it just, hard for you at nighttime to turn it off? Um, it depends on how early I got up yeah, and how tired I am. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just really ready to... To just Berlin. go to sleep, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, but I also get help. My my mom and my mother in law sometimes take the kids, you know, for an afternoon or something that helps me to get some work done. Yeah. Um, and then on the weekends, usually I try to designate, um, like if I have an article, I write a lot of art, publish some articles freelance. That's um, great. Yeah. For a couple publications, so. Um, if I need dedicated, quiet, focused writing yes. time, I usually take that on the weekends. Yeah. Um, like a weekend morning or something. That's so, great. Um, but I'm not doing it all 
at the same time. You right. Know? There's exactly. it's, it's sort of, you know, and then there's times where, you know, I drop the ball. Like, you know, there's not a blog post this week or mm-hmm. or um, usually, I mean, if I have a freelance writing article, I have to, those are deadlines I yeah. have to meet. But, yeah. um, you know, there's times when I just, I don't feel like being on social media this week or, yeah. you know, and so Which I just don't. I think don't, it's so healthy too yeah, to really give yourself that mm-hmm. break. Yeah. And, um, and speaking of breaks, I'm actually coming off of a two week break of not running. I so, read that. Yeah. And I actually, it's so funny. I was going to start with all that, Sarah, because yeah. I, I was so inspired by that. And I yeah. love that you just well, said I will, that. Well, I will say that it com- it's coming from my coach, not from me, because yeah. I probably would not have um, and <laughs> given myself this amount of rest. But um, it's sort of actually, it was originally going to be two weeks, and we've sort of exp- extended it by another two weeks. So mm. um, I just think I really just physically and mentally needed a break from training because um, I had trained pretty hard last year. Well, so. and I don't know. I don't feel like people, you know, athletes in general and runners, you know, and, and I dabbled in all that myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so hard to remember that rest is so vital mm-hmm. to mm-hmm to like success whatever you know mm-hmm. whatever success means but to yeah. being really healthy and, yeah. and maintaining that yeah. so how has that been for you um, and actually it's, it's interesting um because I thought like I'll be I thought I would be itching to run because the only other times I've taken really extended breaks have been during pregnancy or mm. you know returning to running after pregnancy or times of injury like yeah taking yeah. rest because you're injured so um this is the first sort of planned rest that I've taken. I did take three weeks off like two week, two years ago. I took three weeks off um, and um, before starting a marathon training cycle. Um, so it's been a couple of years since mm. I've taken dedicated mm-hmm. rest. But if you look at any professional athlete, they have an off season. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I think it's sort of an exclusive, exclusive to, to us amateur athletes yeah. and weekend warriors <laughs> that we don't rest. So yeah. I really think that it's, um, I'm learning the importance of it. Like I said, it was um, imposed by my coach. It wasn't so, necessarily um, your yeah, first choice. my <laughs> idea. But um, yeah, the first two weeks I actually didn't feel like running at all. Yeah. And I didn't miss it. And, and, I, and I wrote to my coach and I said, well, I, I'm not itching to get back to it. And he said, okay, let's, let's take another two weeks. Um, you don't have to rest completely because he wanted to, he wanted me to do just complete rest. Yeah. Um, like no work. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this week I've started to, I'm probably going to run maybe three or four times this week and mm-hmm. then next week it'll be about the same. And then the following week we'll, we'll get started back into, um, sort of regular workouts and trainings. So like what so. is, what is, um, so to me like three or four runs, I'm like, Oh, and that's still considered resting. So what is regular, <laughs> like what does a regular week look like for you? So running and a regular out? week. I mean, this summer I was doing 10 days on a day off and then seven days. So 10 days hard, a day off, and then seven days of easier running or less mileage. Yeah. Um, so 10 days hard, um, so it would go like, so let's say it started on a Sunday, it'd be long run on Sunday um, of, let's say like two hours of running Sunday. That's what I was doing. Two hours Sunday. Monday was seven miles. Mm-hmm. Tuesday was 10 miles. Wednesday was a track workout um, with the warm up and cool down. And maybe that I would double up on that day. So it'd be like a nine or 10 mile day that day. Oh, wow. And then... Thursday would be like 45 minutes and Friday would be 30. 
Saturday was tempo, Sunday long run. Wow. So I'd go like, wow. t- that would ten be like 10 days of that. That would be like 10 days of a really Sarah. hard and then day off. And then seven days easy would still include a hard track and tempo workout. Um, but the mileage would be scaled back. Okay. So okay. it would just be like 30 and 45 minute runs versus yeah. like that big 10 miler yeah. and the seven miler. So, um, and I think that's probably why I just really needed some yeah. time off. Because I was just, out. yeah, just really. Probably energetically too. Yeah. What, um, how do you, how do you do with injury and, and, and injury prevention? So I've, um, I've really only had two major injuries, knock on wood, in the last 10, 10 years. <laughs> um, I had plantar fasciitis in 2003 mm. after my first marathon. And that I think just came from just. I had no idea what I was doing and yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then I have had coming back after pregnancy, I had issues with leaking and pelvic Mm, floor weakness. And so, um, I did do some physical therapy for that. I wouldn't necessarily consider that an injury. Yeah. Um, cause I wasn't, it wasn't preventing me from running, but, but it was probably more just like an interference or just struggle with, yeah. yeah. And so, and then I've had popliteal tendonitis, which is Mm. your popliteal muscle is just sort of obscure muscle in the back of your knee that stabilizes. So I could run on flat, but I couldn't do any downhill running or incline running. So, um, and that sort of just healed, um, over time. Um, actually during my pregnancy, I've, I had tendonitis and then ended up getting, we had our third baby. And during that pregnancy, it sort of resolved itself because I wasn't running as much. So, um, but um, yeah, so I've really only dealt with the plantar fasciitis and the popliteal tendonitis and the pelvic floor issues after pregnancy. Um, So I think what I, I still incorporate a lot of the, um, physical therapy exercises that I got, um, postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot of, um, hip and glute and core strength stuff and, um, stabilization and strengthening and those types of things are just really important because a lot of running keeps you really strong. Yeah. A lot of running injuries just stem from imbalances in the hips, you know, and then it just goes down the, down the line. So, um, I've been dealing on and off with that yeah. <laughs> the last few years. So, so yeah. I, I feel yeah. like if I can keep my hips and my glutes strong, um, then I'll avoid a lot of other injuries. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. That's really great. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, like, how do you, and you kind of went right into that, mm-hmm. like, how do you, um, not counter, like, but balance all the, the running with, you know, with your body and, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you practice yoga? Do you stretch regularly? Um, what are some other, do you do like rolling on foam roller? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I stretch. I have this little routine that I do after every run where I mm-hmm. stretch, um, for about 10 minutes or so. Um, and then I, try to foam roll at night but do some it's not like yeah least, it's yeah. not regular I don't do it regularly usually I do it just when something feels a little tight or off yeah but I do get regular deep tissue massages trigger awesome. trigger point massage yeah. I yeah. have a really great um massage therapist that I see and um so that that and chiropractic I feel like keep me pretty awesome. pretty balanced so that's great that's awesome yeah so you mentioned like okay you're you're still in this rest you know quote mm-hmm. unquote rest time period for yourself. 
what are other ways you have found to take care of yourself and find that same, like maybe not exact same freedom and release that you get mm. from running, but um, what are some other activities that, that enliven you and nourish you that aren't running related and mm. away from being mom? And Yeah, I mean, I really love to just um, hike with my kids yeah. and get out and, and we do little hikes or walks on trails in the woods and stuff. Um, so that... Um, that I just really enjoy and I just enjoy being out in nature with them. Um, they have a lot of fun. That's awesome. <laughs> so, it's so fun. Yeah. So hi- hiking is really, would be my, my yeah. next choice. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So that's great, Sarah. I love that we, so we started our conversation, like diving really intensely into mm-hmm. your, your journey through disordered eating and, and, and just that mindset of like almost attacking your body and like feeling at war with your body and Mm -hmm. here we are kind of circling and landing at a place of softness like Mm -hmm. I feel like you in your sharing and me just listening to you today and then through a lot of like the sharing you've done through your blog um and this rest period that you're Mm -hmm. still in it's like you really truly loving your body and listening mm-hmm. and nourishing it and giving it what it really needs mm-hmm. as opposed to that perfectionistic mindset popping in. Like I can't mm-hmm. rest. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep, yeah. you know, training hard. And, um, yeah. I love that Sarah, you've really journeyed yeah. through it. And <laughs> I feel like, um, the fact that I didn't miss running that I didn't want to, and I didn't miss it. I feel like that was a really healthy sign for me mm-hmm. that my running is, it's a part of me, but it's not, obsessive it's not an obsessive it's not the only only part of you that you identify with yeah Yeah. and I don't feel a compulsion to you know I can take two weeks off three weeks off and and not feel compelled or that I'm gonna you know was that actually was that surprising for you are you really are you in some ways relieved I think I was yeah yeah, to, to feel like okay, if something were to happen to me tomorrow, like if I were in a car accident or something, you know, and I wasn't able to run, yeah, I would still be able to find, a, I would still be able to find joy and find a way to get that same feeling without running. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think I just need to be outside, yeah. you know, whatever oh, totally. ca- capacity that's in. And I love, I love Sarah that you have continued to post sunrise pictures, even <laughs> though you're not running at yeah. the sunrise. And, and I imagine for you to give yourself that gift of simply like soaking up the sunrise, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, for me, like that is one of my most favorite cherished times yeah. of day as well. And that light. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I still am getting, I'm a sunrise runner. I get up yeah. pretty early, but I, even during this period of rest, I've still been, I mean, I let myself sleep in some days, yeah. um, but there've been a few days where I've gotten up just to see the sunrise just cause it feeds my soul. So I love it. I love that. But, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. This has been amazing. I feel so grateful to be able to get to know you and hear so much more about your story and who you are and feel your strength just getting to sit here over tea with you. Yeah. Yeah, Is there anything else you want to share? No, I mean, I think... um... No, that's pretty much it. I mean, well, it's not it. There's I know. So I many feel like there are so many other things that I was yeah. like, oh, I have the question about this. Yeah. But you know what, Sarah, maybe we can do this again in, yeah. in another six months or a year. I would love to because yeah. there are definitely, I feel like we could probably talk all day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I feel the same yeah. way. Which is so, so wonderful. So so where else can people find you? We've talked yeah. about a few different yeah. places. So you can find my blog at runfargirl.com. 
Um, and then I'm very active on Instagram and that's just at run far girl. Um, and my handle is the same for Twitter. It's at run far girl. And then, um, I'm also on Facebook, um, the run far girl page on Facebook as well. Awesome. And when you write for other publications, do you share that in your blog or I do. anywhere yep. as well? I, I write regularly for women's running magazines. So if you awesome. go to their website um, and go over to their blog tab, you can just scroll down and find my posts under Run Far Girl. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for having fun. Me. It's great. Yay.